Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. Or, if you prefer it Sky Sports transfer window styly, wait a minute, I'm hearing news of Football Finance Pod just in. This could be massive. Let's go to Kevin Day and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, who will check their phones and then tell us they have no further details at this time. <laughs> Kieran, how is your transfer window? Were there some, were there some huge moves in the vineyard near the south coast? Um, yeah, I think the Baroness has booked herself a season ticket uh, at, the, at the vineyard. So, yes, yeah, she seems to be doing very well. Um, we've, we've, we've shipped shipped quite a few players out on loan. We've got 19 players out on loan, which is nice. crazy. <laughs> Who's going to play for us in the Carabao Cup? Yeah, which which unheard players, which I, I normally go along to the Carabao Cup matches for to go, Who's he? how long has he been with us? Oh, he's out on loan now, so yeah. no idea what's going on. It, it could be worse, Kieran. Your under 23s could be getting spanked by Sutton in the Papa John's or whatever <laughs> it's called. Um, later in this episode, we will hear from Colin Kavanagh of the Rochdale Supporters Trust to get his view on the failed hostile takeover attempt on the club. But first, breaking news. Um, Kieran, is there, a, is there a possible different model to the transfer window, by the way? Does, does the transfer window work? Um, it's... It works in the sense that it's potentially the least bad option because there there were rumours a few years ago of a legal challenge to the idea of having player transfers at all because it could be argued that uh, it it didn't allow freedom of movement of labour, which is one of the the core Mm. EU rules. So this was brought in as a sort of you know a, a sap to the the rule makers but uh you know you and I are both old enough to remember the days pre the transfer window when you could sign any player at any time mm. and and to a certain extent you know that that smoothed out the costs uh, it didn't mean that you have this uh, this crazy runaround um or you know there there are so radical alternatives such as some form of a draft system or to one one of the proposals under the uh, super league franchise 
was that you could not transfer players from one Super League club to another. And the, and the mm. aim there was to, to keep wages down because that meant that you know, players couldn't go from Manchester United to Real Madrid for more money. So yeah, that, was, that was the driving force, as, as was proven to be all everything to do with Super League. Um, but uh, we, we, we could move on to something more radical, but I think it's unlikely. I, I couldn't stop myself last night, Kieran. Uh, I had the house to myself, so I was doing what I usually do and perusing BBC Four. No, Kieran, not that, for the love of God. <laughs> you are so childish. I was watching a documentary on BBC Four, Kieran, which is how I tend to pass the time of an evening, but I couldn't stop myself from flicking across to, to Sky Sports. And I particularly enjoyed their dilemma because they were obviously all over Cristiano Ronaldo. But then a huge story came in that they they kind of they couldn't take their eyes off. Um, PSG turned down two hundred twenty five million euros, around one hundred eighty nine million pound, for a player who will leave for nothing in a few months. I mean, that's a start. I mean, I know PSG are rich, Kieran, but that they basically taken a two hundred twenty five million euro hit there, haven't they? Yes, because it's almost certain that Kylian Mbappe will move next summer for nothing. Uh, but, but in the Price of Football book, we say that uh, owning a football club, uh, you know, what, what are the motives for it? And, and I think it was love, profit, vanity and insanity. And I think we've got vanity and insanity expressed uh, in terms of that particular potential deal in the sense that Florentino Perez, who, again, part of Super League, the man that believes that by giving more money to billionaires, you're going to save European football. Um, he he wants Kylian Mbappe to uh, remind people that Real Madrid are the preeminent football club in the world in his eyes, and therefore they can sign anybody that they want. Equally, um, you could regard it as insanity for PSG to reject the bid, given that it is, as you rightly point out, they're going to lose uh, the thick end of £200 uh, over the course of the next year. But from their perspective, remember, they are owned by uh, the Qatari Sports Institute or Mm. Sports Investment Fund. Um, And, of course, we have the 2022 World Cup taking place in Qatar. And what better way of leading up to that would be to have PSG win the Champions League and PSG with its close links to Qatar. So they, they were in a position to reject it. But the fact that a club can reject a 200 million offer uh, is is indicative of the the unusual finances we see in, in certain club ownership models. Mm-hmm. I think my favourite moment on Sky Sports was when they, they cut to a clip of Mbappe with the French national team and one of the coaches says something to him and the guy, this guy says, we believe this is the moment where Mbappe learns he's not going to Madrid. And Mbappe, how they infer that, I don't know. <laughs> you know but then Mbappe turns around and does some keepy-uppies and they go, he doesn't seem... Doesn't seem too concerned about how it's like. It's like my guess, I would infer from that that the coach had actually said to him, "Would you do some keepy uppies?" Very <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's, it's Sky really are astonishing on Sky. It's it's it's. I almost think they're parodying themselves sometimes. Well, yes, because yeah. they, they had Sam Allardyce on last <laughs> night and Paul Merson, and, and Sam Allardyce was peddling the myth. And we know that it is a myth that uh, shirt sales are going to pay, yes, pay for Cristiano Ronaldo's wages yeah. 10 times over, Kevin, 10 times over. 
Um, so that'll be that's a, that's an awful lot of shirts, given that they make four quid a shirt in terms of profit. Yeah, it must be very frustrating for Sam Allardyce not to be involved. I imagine he played some sort of fantasy football yesterday where he signed four 31-year-olds just for old time's sake. <laughs> um, and on the subject of transfers, Kieran, and, and big money, FIFA this week released some numbers that they'd crunched, because it's not only you that crunches numbers, Kieran. FIFA have analysed 10 years of the international transfer market and found that £48.5 billion was spent in that 10 years, and a Premier League club spent most of it. <laughs> well, uh, yes. And I've got, I've got a name written down, Kieran, and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you what that name is and see if it's, it's the name I've got written down. Um, I, I'm going for Manchester City, Kevin. Ah, oh, damn, really? I've, oh, I have, hang on, let me... T- let me uh, oh, yeah, I've, got, I've written them all down, Kieran, basically. <laughs> I've, written, I've written six clubs down. I, I, would have, I went Chelsea, but uh, OK, but... Oh, yes, £48.5 billion spent on human beings in 10 years, Kieran. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Uh, it, it, it is a lot. Uh, it was also interesting. Uh, if, if anybody wants to go and read that report, by the way, it's on the FIFA website. It's available for free. You can download it. Um, £3.5 billion went to agents during the same period, which... which <sighs> what? That's a lot of zeros on, on, the end, on the end of those deals. Um, which is which is just uh, uh, you know an incredible amount of money, and uh, it, it does uh, it, it does probably make you realise just why so many people are keen to become agents in a <laughs> in an industry where you need no qualifications and uh, th- there's no th- there's there's not the equivalent of of uh, you know tra- tradespeople.com or whatever these places call themselves or um any, anybody can be an agent it'll, it'll just cost you a 500 quid check to the fa and 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 away you go so uh the biggest spenders were manchester city uh followed by chelsea so so you 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 did actually have the effectively the top two there you are the effectively you could be the doris stokes of uh, <laughs> football finance <laughs> Good luck with that reference. I <laughs> Let's pause here to do a footnote to explain to younger people. Doris Stokes was a famous psychic medium who got in touch with dead people uh, in the 70s, basically. That's past for entertainment when we were kids, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a couple of our older readers I know will chuckle at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, so this, this showed – it was an interesting report in the sense that it showed where the players were coming from and uh, the biggest exporters of uh, football players are from brazil which i, I think is you know, i don't think it's a hugely uh, hugely surprising that um but if if uh, if, if there's been 40 odd billion spent uh, you know the way to think of it it, it is it is a money go round and Therefore, forty odd billion must have been received by other clubs. Mm. Um, so it, it is a way of circulating money uh, around the game, but it, but it's also indicative that uh, you know the, just how big the football market is. And I think I'm, 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 I may have got this wrong that the FIFA report just dealt with international transfers. Yes, it did. Um, so you know that yeah. that would exclude the likes of Jack Grealish going from Manchester, you know, going from Villa to, to, to Manchester City, and so on. Uh, so you throw those in, um, and the numbers would have been even more crazy. Mm. And of course, in the seventies, this is this is by way of making young people realise how lucky they are. Uh, 
if Doris Stokes wasn't entertainment enough, we also had Jeanette Charles, who's USP. Well, she looked like the Queen. <laughs> yes, Basically, that was she looked like the Queen. So she she was turned up in every sketch show. Going, do you? I don't know if you, you know the answer to this question, Kim. But what was the reason for the report? Was this was this by way of FIFA saying there's being too much money spent, or is this a celebration of how much money was spent? What's what's the point of the timing of this report? Well, uh, to, to be fair to FIFA, they do put out an annual report um, ah, okay. in a similar right. nature, and because this covered it, this covered the decade, so it, co- it covered the teenies, taking oh, us up you. to you know eleven to twenty. Um, so that was the that was the basis uh, of of the report, and it would allow them to compare to the previous decade and. Uh, yeah, we, we can all sort of you know stroke our chins and say, you know, the, the world's gone to hell in the handcart. Mm. Look at these numbers. Yeah, two stories now concerning clubs that have been with us on this pod since day one, Kieran, uh, mm. for good or ill. Uh, the first is that a group of Berry supporters have submitted a bid to buy back the club and Gig Lane. What sort of money are we looking here? Well, um, this is. I believe, a potential bid. Now, we have to be a little bit cautious here because I, I read this story in the Berry Times and uh, I, I then went to the comment section because you know what it's like in local newspapers. You normally get, mm. um, you know, if you get one or two comments, uh, you're lucky. But there was an awful lot um, at, you know, on this particular story. And the terrible thing about Berry is not only was the club destroyed by... Stuart Day and Steve Dale. But mm. since then, we, we've ended up with a form of civil war. We, yeah. we've, got, we've got AFC Berry, um, who you know, have started off again. Um, you know, they, they had nearly 1,500 people attend their last home match, which for yeah. the, you know, the 10th tier of football is, is absolutely incredible. Um, but uh, the, the other faction of the Berry support base – Forever Berry, who have created something called Established 1885, um, they say that there is an anonymous benefactor. Um, so, we, so they're not saying how much is being bid. They are going down the gig lane as a community asset route, which which is grand. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all in favour of that. Um, and and they've said the they've got the backing of the two local MPs. Now, I, I've looked at the comments of the two local MPs, which appeared to be, wouldn't it be great if Berry could once again play at Gig Lane? So it's not yeah. exactly backing this group or, or criticising the other group, but but um, it, it's, it, it's, it's very depressing. I mean, I, I, I attended some of the meetings at Berry Town Hall um, when the club was effectively... You know, being destroyed uh, from from the boardroom, um, and and it was clear then that that the fans weren't getting on with each other, mm. and people. Uh, I think the politest way to say that they passionately disagreed with each other, uh, but things were getting very uh, very aggressive, and and this has continued. Um, you know, in, in an ideal world, there's going to be one Berry Football Club, and in an ideal world, that's going to be playing at. At, at Gig Lane now. Now, what it's named is is to a large extent uh, an irrelevance. Yeah, we we've got uh, you know, AFC Wimbledon playing at, at Plough Lane these days, and, and and everybody seems happy with that. So, um, you know, people need to uh, you know th- uh, offer olive branches to to each other and realise that they've actually got a, you know, a common aim, um, and uh, you know set set egos aside. Uh, because the uh, otherwise Steve Dale and his cronies will outmaneuver them. 
Well, that's the one thing. It's beyond depressing here, and it's 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 heartbreaking because the one consolation when this happens, uh, a la Wimbledon, is that a club goes out of business or a club's in trouble, and it unites everybody in the community and the football club together. And the opposite has happened here, and you can't help feeling that, that somewhere the dread hand of Steve Dale is still involved in all this, and it's just it's it's a story I really want to get resolved as quickly as possible. It's it's a terrible thing to 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 observe, to be honest, Kieran, isn't it? And uh, the, the other club, of course, and this it's been three weeks, Kieran, so yes. I've, I've missed them. But Derby Derby County are moving closer to resolving their bitter row with the EFL, which is good news for all concerned, except Kieran, of course, us. Because there, there, I don't know what we there have been there have been some weeks, Kieran, where if we didn't have Derby, we didn't have a pod. Yeah. Basically, we, we're going to have to interview somebody. There's no Derby news, so but it, this is this is clearly good news at last for Derby County fans. Um, oh, cracking! Oh, really? Oh, well, oh, no, I, I, really? Oh, really? The, how can how could Kieran? How can the words "moving closer to resolving their bitter row" not be good news? Well. Um, the EFL are under pressure. This, this is a report in the Telegraph. Are under pressure to give um, to give Derby County a nine point deduction plus three further points suspended um, with regards to their ongoing uh, dispute over Derby County's amortisation policy. Uh, and the reason why I, th- I think we've we've moved one step forward in that in the sense that Derby were given a deadline, 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 because it it itself got pushed back, of the 24th of August, in which to submit their accounts, uh, revised accounts for 2016 to 18. So we assume that that's done. Um, They still haven't done that. They've still not published anything for 2019 and 2020. So they've chosen deliberately to break company law um, in in taking that approach um, for whatever reasons. And, you know, I I, I don't think, uh, I don't think breaking law can be condoned. Um, When we had our friend Nick DeMarco uh, on the show, he, he said to us, uh, you know, he would always advise clients to go through the the mediation rather than yeah. prosecution route. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he's had his uh, discussions with Derby. Um, it's not in the EFL's interests to have another lengthy uh, scenario of having to make charges, then having to put a committee together, then data and, and evidence having to be submitted, then people go away and make a decision. Because if this ends up being resolved via you know, via a prosecution charge, uh, yeah, we, we could be talking next March or April before that's resolved. That's towards the end of the season. That completely distorts the table just before the end of the season. So... Um, I believe that parties are being encouraged to uh, resolve their differences, but uh, the EFL is uh, being uh, monitored itself by the other clubs in the championship whose whose views with regards to uh, Derby's approach to the way that they value players, I think is, is fairly hostile. Um, it, if uh, if the EFL says okay, we, we'll go along with the the approach, then they'll be seen as being soft on the issue, which will encourage others to use creative accounting. And believe me, there's plenty of other creative accounting methods that can be used. Um, so, 
I, I hope that the two parties can get together. It's going to help Mel Morris, the club owner, because would you buy a football club in the knowledge of a potential 12-point deduction hanging over the head? That has an implications in terms of the value of the club because that would increase the chances of them spending 22-23 in League One. So there's some progress. I, th- I think the accounts have been submitted. Where are we going to go from there? Heaven only knows. Kieran, you know I would buy a club if it had a 12-point deduction hanging over it because I'm an, I'm an idiot when it comes to money. That's why I'm doing this pod. I'll buy, I'll buy it. Yeah, great. I own a football club. Yeah, brilliant. Can I change the kit? Yay, great. Um, and it's nice to hear Kieran right at the start of that uh, lengthy explanation. How lovely to hear a Maguire encouraging people not to break the law. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. No, no, wonder, no wonder you're the black sheep of that family, Absolutely. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by The Price of Football online course, hosted by our very own Kieran Maguire. Kieran, tell us more. Well, Kevin, um, it's some friends of mine who, who couldn't afford the Swiss Ramble. So therefore, they decided instead to create The Price of Football course. Uh, so it's a six-week online course starting on the 20th of September, and it's been designed for Anybody who wants to potentially get a career in the football industry through a combination of quality education, but also networking. It's really important that you get to know people in the industry because it is a small industry. So it includes six hours of weekly study material and a 90 minute mentoring session every week on topics like governing bodies, clubs and investors. I might manage to sneak a bit about amortization in about it as well. Um, So they've asked me to be one of the tutors. So uh, you will see me or perhaps hear me me, uh, or failing that, perhaps they'll see and hear Finlay. Um, And you'll also get the option to attend the the World Football Summit in Madrid, though I suspect that will be virtually. It sounds wonderful, Gary. It does sound genuinely interesting. Um, and a very good way to launch your career. I also like the fact that you're more likely to be tutored by Finley than you are by me. Um, <laughs> if, if you are listening to this and you'd like to launch your career in the football industry with Kieran, who better, let's face it, to help launch your career in the football industry, head to www.sportstalentnetwork.com for more information. And I believe you can get an early bird 50% discount, uh, which is still available. Uh, so if you go to www.sportstalentnetwork.com for more info, uh, good luck. Now, Kieran, I was listening to a very fine new podcast this week called The Famous Sloping Pitch, made by two friends of mine, Nick Hancock and Chris England, which is essentially uh, two middle-aged men wanging away about football uh, without the financial element. So no competition at all. But Chris is a massive Oldham fan, so he'll be interested in the fact that a director of Oldham has made um, an impassioned plea, shall we say? Yes. Uh, he's asked uh, he's asked for fans to uh, not get uh, as upset because they've uh, there's been a number of protests taking place at Oldham. Yeah, we're, mm. we're only just into the start of September. Well, we've already had a pitch invasion. And then um, at another match, there was... And, and I absolutely love this. This is what I think so so great about football, football fans. There was an invasion of the tennis balls. 
where, <laughs> where where the fans just lobbed loads and loads of tennis balls on the pitch, um, and uh, it was abandoned effectively for five minutes. Um, and this is in protest against the way that the club has been run by Abdullah uh, Lemsagam, who is a former agent, who is now the club owner. Um, Oldham are presently 23rd in League Two. Now, you and I are both, you know, we're old enough to remember, you know, Oldham getting to the FA Cup semi-final, being in the top division, Frankie Bum yeah. uh, scoring goals for fun and, and Andy Ritchie and so on. They, you know, they, they used to be a, uh, an absolute delight to watch in, in the first season of the Premier League. Um, so well, to see them... You, you, I'm, I'm going to have to contradict you there, Kieran, as, considering they relegated us in that first season of the Premier League. So for some of us, Kieran, they weren't such a delight to watch. But yes, I understand. Yeah, I see your point. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and uh, also, as, as anybody that's ever been to uh, uh, regular away matches, um, no matter what the weather is, it's always, I think the, the technical term is, fucking freezing at always. Boundary Park. It, it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's its own microclimate. Uh, in terms of the place, but it, it's still it, it's a proper old school football ground with uh, a proper old school away end as well, where you know you, you would be uh, you, you would be you against the elements. Um, so I, I have a look at their accounts and uh, their their most recent accounts. Uh, you know, I've got I've got I've got my I've got my klaxons going off. Uh, they're they're unaudited. They're they're abridged, right. so we don't know too much about them. They've got liabilities of five million pounds, which is which is considerable given the size of the club. And then I did go into what little small print I could find, and it said uh, in in the in the notes uh, there's some form of tax investigation um, which could involve up to nine hundred and twenty thousand pounds of additional tax having to be paid. So. You, you, you put all that together, um, along with the fact that the, the only club beneath them in League Two is is Sutton United, who already have a game in hand and have, of course, been unable to play any home games because of this uh, somewhat uh, harsh approach of, of not of you know forcing them to rip up the pitch. Mm. Um, so you know the, the, the club's in the pickle. The, the the fans are unhappy. I I was approached by an Oldham fan group um, with, uh, and they said, you know, would would I cast an eye over the accounts? And and they and they pitched that to the club, um, and and the club said, uh, well, we, we, we've not heard of him. He, you know, he's an accountant. Yeah, he, 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 he could be a turf accountant for all we know. So so we won't have have him near us. And and I would have just gone in and you know. Looked at it from a neutral perspective, as you know, I, 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 I try to be as objective as possible. So, um, it, it doesn't look great. You can understand the uh, the, the tensions of the fans, and uh, you know, once again, we're, we're talking about issues in in the northwest of England. You know, mm. it, it, there's too much that has gone on. Wigan, Macclesfield. Now Oldham, Berry, we've just been talking about Rochdale. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, so it's uh, it, it's it's a concerning area, um, and you know where the club goes from here. Because once that relationship between fan base and owners breaks down, uh, especially for smaller clubs, it's very difficult to repair. 
Yeah, it's all very well making impassioned pleas uh, as a director, but if you don't want fans on the pitch, don't stuff up their club. Um, and also, I think legally, can we? Guy always likes to say, point out that legally, the accounts don't have to be audited, do they? No, no, they don't. Um, yeah. And under under normal circumstances, I would say, you know, it, it's it's an unnecessary cost for a business of that size. But I took a look at the 2018 accounts, which was in the first year of, of ownership, I, I think, of the, the, the Mr. Uh, Lemsagam. And whether you audit accounts or not, there, there's some things which you should be able to get right. And in yeah, and the one things that the one thing you should be able to get right is how much money you've got in your bank account. Because yeah, what you do is you go online, you say that's how much money I got in my bank account. But Oldham published their accounts twice that year, and in the first time they published them, their bank balance was two hundred and sixty-one grand, and then they republished them a few year, a few months later, and it was down to six. Now, yeah, that's mm. uh, yeah, I, 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 the the Baroness let loose in John Lewis can do an awful lot of damage to to my bank account on on an afternoon. But but even so, you know that that's a that's a, that's a big correction on something which should be correct in the first place. Mm. You say you can go online to check your account, Kieran. You can also have a, a little piece of paper that's folded up about eighty six times in your wallet and write it down. That's, every time I go online to check the bank account, I do it with one eye. Because I'm desperately hoping it matches the figure I've got written down on my little piece of paper. It really does. But there you are. I'm going to stick my uh, neck out here, Kieran, and suggest that if there is a ground colder than Oldham, it's Carlisle. Um, <laughs> you, sh- you should be able to wear a jacket and T-shirt to an away game in September, Kieran. But, yeah, it's 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 a long way away. Um, and their supporters' trust, Carlisle Supporters' Trust, are awaiting the outcome of several meetings, aren't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, Carlisle did produce their accounts recently, and, and I think I gave them six stars out of five. Yeah, they were very comprehensive. Yeah. So the people yeah. at the club, um, you know, have been, I, I think, pretty transparent. The issue in relation to Carlisle United is that the club um, borrowed from a company called Edinburgh Woolen Mill. Mm. Um, and it borrowed over £2 million, and Edinburgh Woolen Mill partly due to the pandemic, I suspect significantly due to the pandemic, have gone into administration. So where we stand in respect of that debt, you know, and the 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 people behind Edinburgh Woolen Mill say, we're not going to call it in, but the future of Carlisle, how it's going to be funded, um, is there going to be some form of succession plan? There, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty here. Uh, and I think Carlisle United is another example of a club that have got a supporters trust who have got their head screwed on. You know, uh, you know, as as we, we've seen with the uh, with the interview with Rochdale um, and also our friends at Swindon, is football fans are not as stupid as they are made out to be by mm. you know, vast sections of the community, um, including quite often directors of football clubs. Mm. Um, so the the uh, the Carlisle Supporters Trust does seem to uh, be taking this in a very measured way, but it is trying to ask, I think, the right questions in terms of you know, where is the club going from a financial perspective? Does it need further funding? If so, where's that likely to come from? Um, but it creates uncertainty. And you know, the one thing that we like about football clubs is, is a degree of certainty. 
not on the pitch, because we all know it's normally going to be some form of a basket case, but off the pitch, you like to know the fact that, that your your club's in, in good hands. Um, and I, I, you know, whilst I've, uh, you know, I've, I've praised certainly the, the board of Carlisle in the way that they've put out information, I think there's an opportunity to do a bit more as well. It's a short and rather scenic trip from Carlisle across the border to Scotland for our next two stories. And firstly, Rangers have announced how much their fan share has made. Yes, um, we we had John Bennett from uh, the Rangers uh, board of directors on the show a few months ago. And what they had decided to do was on the back of uh winning the the premiership for the you know the 55 55th title um they they wanted to democratize the the share base the, the fan yep. base um so they they offered shares for 25 pence each um they were looking to raise 6.75 million on the back of this which which I thought at the time was quite ambitious but um, they've managed to get 5,000 new investors from 44 different countries. And I think this is indicative wow. of, of Rangers, and it has to be said Celtic, both having you know, a very global fan base who, yeah. who have put in four and a half million pounds. Um, and you've got to admire those fans because they're, they're not going to get a dividend in all probability. They're, they're not going to make a profit on those shares in all probability, but they, they do it out of a love for for the club that means so much to them. So, uh, yes, they didn't, you know, they, they got two thirds of their, their target, but you know, I personally thought that target was, was very ambitious. Um, and that, that money is going into infrastructure projects at Ibrox and, and also I think they're opening some form of, of, uh, of museum, uh, for fans to visit so that there will be a genuine legacy on the back of this investment. It's great. I mean, it's interesting. I'm sure Rangers would rather have met their target, but in terms of PR, they kind of have really because they've given smaller investors the chance to have at least some notional ownership of of the club, and that's a brilliant thing, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I, I would. I would encourage more clubs to to give people the opportunity. Uh, I can understand why some people aren't that keen, but. Uh, you know, it 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 does it does allow fans more of a voice. Um, it's our investment is emotional, but if if it can be financial as well, that there's there's no downside to that. And the owner of Hibs has made quite the radical suggestion, Kieran. Yes, uh, it, it's always good to have somebody connected to a football club who's, who's called Ron. Because I think I think I think that is, yeah that is that is textbook isn't it yeah that's, either a manager or or the chairman um, and and this is uh, this is Ron Gordon the uh, the chairman of Hibs Hibernian uh, at present in Scottish football there there are four divisions uh, there are forty two clubs and he said uh, knock that on the head let's slim it down to twenty four clubs uh, and. Um, the money generated from the uh, from the SPFL um, should be split between those twenty four, and that would uh, that would ensure that yeah, potentially all of those twenty four clubs could go full time. He thinks that forty two clubs in a country with a population of over five million is is spreading mm. the goodness. 
Um, but the, the money which is going into the bottom divisions is is is, is very modest. If you finish bottom of League Two, and this these are the figures in in a pre-COVID year, you would have made forty five thousand pounds. So you know, for Hibernian, getting an extra forty five grand isn't isn't going to make a, a a huge amount of, of, of moving the dial. Um, whether that will uh, succeed is is open to debate, but I, I think it will certainly start a debate. And uh, you know, uh, you know, the changes to Scottish football uh, are something which we do see on a regular basis um, because the clubs are are rarely in agreement with one another. Um, so you can certainly see why the clubs in the lower two divisions would be against this. Could there be enough interest in the top two? We'd have to wait mm. and see. Uh, and in the meantime, Ron Gordon will be anxiously awaiting the draw for the Scottish FA Cup in the hope that they don't get an away trip to one of the smaller clubs. Because <laughs> that, that'd be quite a tasty reception, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, I'd be I'd be very careful before eating a pie at lunchtime if I was you, Ron. <laughs> now, we've got this brilliant interview coming up. Um, very passionate interview, uh, forward slash therapy session. Um, but two international stories before that. Mikel Antonio, who almost out of nowhere in the last couple of years has become just a brilliant, rampaging, old-fashioned centre-forward, will probably make his debut for Jamaica this weekend at the age of 31. Uh, he's been in England squads before, Kieran, and he could have tried to force his way into the England squad. Will he be financially worse off playing for Jamaica than he might have been playing for England? I, I don't think he'll be worse off because, remember, England players normally donate their match fees to charity. Yeah. So he, he wouldn't have earned anything directly. Um, potentially in terms of England having a greater chance of qualifying for the Qatar 2022 World Cup and the players' pool in terms of the money they make from uh, endorsements and intellectual property, uh, I suspect that may have been bigger for England than Jamaica, but I, I suspect Mikel Antonio, who again, I, you know, I, I think is a, is a fantastic player. I mean, I, I used oh. to enjoy him when he played at Forest, and uh, you know, he's he's a delight to watch. He might take the view at his age, he's he's got one chance of mm. getting to play in a World Cup. Gareth Southgate isn't noted for bringing in more senior players. He, he, he yeah. prefers younger players. Um, and, and there's quite a queue. Uh, you know, Harry Kane is going to be our number one striker. You know, we've then got uh, you know, Greenwood, Rashford, Sterling and so on, all of whom are established uh, either at their clubs or as internationals. Um, so it, I think it, it, he's probably taken this as, as an approach that, A, it, it gives him the, the opportunity to to represent his you know his country, as far as he's concerned, um, and that, that if, if the reggae boys uh, are successful, um, then he could be playing in the World Cup next next winter, which would, you know, footballers are still dreamers themselves, and this yeah, would be cool. a fantastic uh, achievement for him. Yeah, I'm not sure how we are meant to pronounce it, but I want everybody from now on to pronounce it Qatar, uh, as you just did, because I think <laughs> that that would really annoy them. And also it will give a little tiny bit of levity to a World Cup that shouldn't be taking place in Qatar. 
Um, I'm going to write to the BBC and encourage them to say Qatar as well. It's, 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 so, I call you childish, Kieran, and then I'm laughing my head <laughs> off at the idea of being called Qatar. Uh, and um, closer to home and closer to our family homes, our, our, our generations of family homes on at least one side, the Football Association of Ireland is to pay the men and women's team equal amounts, which is very good news, isn't it? Yes, th- this is uh, a progressive step. I-, I think New Zealand were the first country yep. to to do this. Um, if anybody's familiar with the history of the uh, of the, the Republic of Ireland women's team, they have been treated fairly appallingly historically. Yeah. Uh, you know, senior players having to transfer their tracksuits across to the junior teams, having to get changed in airport toilets. It, you know, it, it, it's it's scandalous. Um, they, they they threatened to strike, didn't they, in 2017? They did indeed. Because uh, of the way they were being treated, yeah. Um, and I think uh, the the men were on €2,500 and the women were on 500 So they're now being paid the same. Now, whether there's some sort of compromise in terms of that or whether the, the women have been moved up to the men's uh, the, the the men's fee. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, if anybody's ever read Champagne Football, the mm. the the, uh, the FAI's history under um, uh, charismatic, I think, is the politest word of describing <laughs> him, John Delaney. Um, no, the, the finances of Irish football have have taken quite a big hit uh, in recent times, and, and producer guy will be mopping his brow with relief. Uh, I use that particular word because I, I did have quite a, uh, a a large number of alternatives. I could I could hear the Rolodex whirring through your head, Kieran. <laughs> and, and producer guy will be mopping his brow with relief, but only after he's been through the thesaurus several times to make sure that right at the end of charismatic there isn't another another meaning for that word <laughs> maybe it's gaelic for wrongen who knows <laughs> irish you know don't say gaelic i mean irish maybe it's irish for wrongen now he, oh, now Kieran, now he is worried now we, poor poor guy even when we start off well-meaning we end up upsetting him <laughs> at least right, he can fan himself with a bunch of fivers he's fine fivers sorry he's a big notes man <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but is it i mean you mentioned new zealand what a lovely country that is first country of course to give women the vote but it this is a progressive move kieran but it also highlights the fact that it, there are still countries that are paying their men and women's teams uh, different amounts in 2021. Yes, um, you, you can understand it. I think at club football level, because ultimately, if you are looking at a business, it's your it's your revenue that drives costs. It's a, it's your you know it's, it's the money that comes in which allows you to pay the money going out. And men's football generates more money than women's. Uh, but we have seen certainly an increase in, in the pay in in the WSL. On an international level, if you are representing your country, I I, I can't see much of an excuse. Um, you know, especially that given that uh, you know most most men's teams are are professional as as are the women's team. And the key point is that you are. You've achieved a standard which allows you to represent your country. There shouldn't be uh, there shouldn't be a need to distinguish in terms of pay. Mm. Interview time. 
Kieran, and generally, you only hear the words hostile takeover in relation to multi-million pound industries, and you don't really care. But when it came to Rochdale, people did care, and they acted, and they won. And you spoke to Colin Kavanagh from Rochdale Supporters Trust to hear more details. Colin, thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show. Um, a, a quiet summer at the Dale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usual story, you look at Rochdale, nothing happens whatsoever. And then it's just been um, chaos for the past four months. Okay, when when exactly did you start to get an inkling that there was something brewing with regards to the ownership and control of the club? Uh, well, well, over the past two seasons, the, the club board have been very honest with us that they've been looking to attract an investor to the football club. Uh, we've disagreed with that, um, but they've always been very clear in saying that's what they were looking to do. And they spoke to a number of people during that time. We met with somebody earlier on in the year who was a preferred bidder for for the club. Met with him, said all, he said all the right things. Was really we were quite pleased, despite not being what we wanted. Um, we were pleased with what we heard from him. We expressed our concerns, and then we signed an NDA with him. And after that point, there we had radio silence. Our meeting was cancelled about an hour's notice. We had emails ignored from over there. And eventually he withdrew rather than state where his money was coming from. So this is this has been knocking around for quite some time. We had the EGM, and I know you covered our EGM earlier on this year, where we had two directors removed from the board of directors. And then, and then we found ourselves with a new board in place. We had local people appointed to the board, good people who were saying all the right things. We had the CEO was removed from his position, which went down very well amongst the fan base. And then we found ourselves, despite having just been relegated, despite our manager walking out three days into pre-season, the mood among the fan base was fantastic. Everyone was really, really pleased with the new board. Everything was looking great. And then about a week later, there was whispers going around saying that somebody was, was looking to buy up shareholdings. Now, one thing we've got at Rochdale is we're not like most of the clubs, and I, I don't know how many other clubs we are actually like, we don't have an owner at Rochdale Football Club. We've got about 330 shareholders and it's spread very evenly throughout these shareholders. Um, perhaps the fact it's, it's Rochdale is the home of the cooperative, but the, the yep. club built that way and it's worked very well for us over over that time. One thing I, I keep sort of saying, you look around Greater Manchester, with the exception of City and United, who are slightly different, on a different planet to us, but we're the only club in Greater Manchester who's not been in administration at any stage because we see that that model works for us. But we did get an inkling that there was somebody going around, a fellow called Alexander Jarvis, was emailing shareholders looking to buy their shares and looking to pay quite a a heavy penny for these shares. I think think he was offering up to begin with three times what was considered to be their market value. Um, This was on behalf of two fellows called Andrew Curran and Darrell Rose. And and this caught us all out of the blue because, as I said, We'd had the changes at the club. We had the change in the boardroom and everyone was quite happy. So it, it just, it did catch us on the hop to an extent. I, I, I can imagine. I mean, did, did you ever have any meetings with these, uh, with these people from Morton House Management or Alex Jarvis? You know, did, they, did they come to the club or did they get in contact with the trust and try to, to set out their position? Or was it you were just hearing that there was this ongoing uh, attempt to build up a shareholding? Because I think, I think in the end, they, they ended up with around about 40% of the shares in total. Is that right? Yeah, what happened was when, once there was an email leaked that someone soon got, it was a shareholder received this email. Um, and that was posted in our forum. And we were looking at that. So the first thing we did is we contacted Jarvis 
And and we basically sort of said, and it, it, we were very nice about the whole thing. We we're sort of saying, look, we are aware you've been buying shareholding. We've heard these whispers. We believe it's on the behalf of Andrew Cohen and Dow Rose. Um, is it possible for us to meet with them so we can express our concerns um, and find out what his plans are for the club? Um, so a meeting was arranged basically very quickly from that. Um, this was over the start of July, and we met with him in a local pub on the sixth of on the sixth of July. We expressed our concerns, and the concerns we expressed were basically that we would have to any potential investor. All the sort of things that we consider makes Rochdale a very unique club and has worked well for us over these years. That's what we put on the table. We've heard all the horror stories in football, and obviously we've got we've got friends of ours who are very supportive. Barry's only five miles down the road from here. Yeah. So so we we lived out with them. We saw what was going on day after day after day. We saw the issues that was happening. And and it basically it puts us put us on red alert from the start, but we didn't we didn't approach Cohen in a in a hostile manner. It was a case at that time the noises we were hearing was it was inevitable that they would get over fifty percent of the shares. So it was a matter it was a case of a matter of time before they do acquire the club. So it was a case of do we work with them? Do we work against them? And, and the decision at that point there was well let's work with them because if we're working outside from them there's not a great deal we can do. So we met with them. The other concerns that we had, we started doing our digging, um, trying to find out as much about, because we're talking two people involved. Andrew Cohen comes from Dagenham. Darrell Rose comes from Worksop. Neither of them have got any connection whatsoever with the football club, with the town. And in the greatest respect, we haven't had a big queue of millionaires looking to come in and take over the club over these years. Um, we've just been little old rock, so we've gone about our business and um, we've just happily got on with it. Um, so again, we expressed all these concerns. He told us what his current met with us alongside Alexander Jarvis. And he said, look, my plans for the club, I don't want to get involved on a day-to-day basis. He says, I've met the board. The board are great. I'm happy to stick with them. He says, I just want to go somewhere to watch the football with me, mates. Have a few beers and I'll bring me Rottweiler to watch matches, which is... I don't Strange. think the Trust had a, a similar conversation when Abramovich bought into them to put, to put it in <laughs> Um So, yeah, it was it, it was a little bit offbeat. Um, it wasn't what we were expecting. But we thought, well, this is him. Perhaps he's a little bit of a character. Who knows? What had been a big concern at this stage was that when we tried doing our digging on him, we couldn't find anything whatsoever. Uh, there was involvement in a roofing company, but that was about it. And in, our, in my experience, you don't get people who've got the wealth to buy a football club, the wealth to buy a £300,000 Rolls Royce, the wealth to have a million pound house and then leaving no footprint whatsoever. Perhaps I'm being um, a little bit paranoid in my old age, but it just doesn't add up that way. I know if I, if I was to search my own name on Google or search most, you'd find these days you find half a dozen things at least about any individual and there was nothing coming back over somebody who's got so enough wealth to buy a football club. So it was, that was a concern. But we met with him. Um, he told us on the night he had 44% of the shares in the football club. He said he provided proof of funding to the EFL. Uh, and we, we discussed his plans for the club. We told him he had to meet with the supporters. So we put a brief statement on our website the very next day saying, look, yeah, we, we met with this potential investor. Um, this is what he's had to say. He said he's bought these shares. He said he's provided proof of funds to the EFL. And then we got contacted by the EFL the day after. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, no, he hasn't. Um, He said, he cannot state that he's bought these shares because any shareholding has to be approved by the EFL. Yeah. Um, We've since learned that there's been no share transfer forms presented to the club whatsoever. 
So from the club's perspective, they could turn around and say, he doesn't own a single share in this football club at this moment in time. So the EFL asked us to remove that. Um, the EFL also stated that they'd received no proof of funding, which was something of a surprise to us. So we we contacted EFL, just said, look, are you absolutely 100% sure on this? And they said, yeah, we have got no evidence of any funding being provided, any proof of funding being provided to us at any stage. Um, at that point there, it was, um, the, sp- the spidey tingles was, was going over the top mm. at that point there. And we thought, right, well, so we put a statement out and said, look, Contrary to what we said, the EFL have told us this. Um, at this moment in time, we contacted Alexander Jarvis and we're open with him and said, look, this is what we've been told. Until we've had any more details confirming this in the EFL, um, that, that will remain our stance. So at that point there, I think we pretty much we all, we went down to B&Q and bought about two dozen spades and we started getting, everybody started digging as much information <laughs> on, these, on these people. Um, and the more we found out, um, the more worried that we became. And we've had some, I tell you, we've had some absolute Trojans working for us. We've had people from the trust doing it. We've had supporters doing it. We've had the whole fan base have rallied around, trying to find out as much information as we possibly can. Because one thing which hadn't been answered at any stage is why Rochdale? Um, if it is just a case of wanting to go and take your dog to watch, watch the football with a few beers, well, if you live in Dagenham, there's possibly, from conference level upwards, there's possibly a dozen teams you could go and, go and watch instead um, and then get a nice taxi home rather than the taxi home that it would cost from Rochdale. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that to me, as an outsider, was one of the, the big issues. Um, you know, I'm, I, I know Rochdale reasonably well, mainly because my favourite band of all time, the Chameleons, comes from Middleton. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the area. And you, know, you and I, we both know the value of property in Rochdale and, and the, the location of the ground. I've been to Scotland very many times, or the Crown Oil Arena, as I should properly call it. Um, so trying to work out the logic behind the purchase, uh, you know, Rochdale's fan base... It, is, it would struggle, I think, to, to to fund a championship club. So where exactly were they trying to take take the club? Did they ever explain that to you? Not really. In our first meeting, to be honest, I was a little bit impressed with that because there's nothing worries me more is when you get you get some owner going into a club and starts talking about massive, oh, yeah, we're going to get promoted to the championship and then we'll knock on door the Premier League. Because we can see through that. We've no delusions of grandeur at Rochdale. Um we had it last Friday, we, we celebrated 100 years in the EFL. And then we were going through them, people working out, well, there's only there's only nine or 10 teams who survived 100 years unbroken in the EFL during that time. And then someone went a bit, took that research a bit further and they said, yeah, out of those teams, there's only one team who has spent the last 100 years in the bottom two divisions of the EFL, and that's us. So we, we know our place in the footballing world. We're ambitious, but we are grounded. Um, yeah. So we didn't get any of that, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. They talked about sustainability, which which was a positive from our perspective. But as I said, the more digging that we did, we could see that this this just wasn't right for us. This wasn't right for Rochdale. Arguably, it wasn't right for any football club, but certainly what didn't match what we wanted at Rochdale Football Club. Yeah, I mean, I, as you know, I, I, I focus on the numbers and, and looking at the Rochdale accounts, I would say that they – they're already one of the more sustainable football clubs in the EFL because they they don't tend to live beyond their means. And I think the very nature of the, the, the share ownership, because it is divided and therefore you've not got any one person 
underwriting the losses meant that the club always set itself sensible budgets. Yes, some years it made a loss, but other years on, you know, on the back of you know, a good cup run or a player sale, you know, they, they, they did fine. And, and I thought, I always felt them to be an example of how a club could be run as, as you've been saying, yeah, we are Rochdale, we know where we are, we're a community club, we're a sustainable club, and it, it, it just ticks so many boxes in, in its current form. Well, for me, and I, maybe I'm being completely naive in saying this, but for me, running a football club should be the easiest job in the world. Every club te- kind of knows what their income is going to be over the next 12 months. You then set your wage budget accordingly from that, and everything should take care of itself from there. If every club in the country ran that, ran that way, then there wouldn't be a single club in the country having any financial problems at all. Um, it is when you start paying money out that you've not got, that's when the problems start kicking in. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's uh, it's those clubs. Now, you know, we're recording this on transfer deadline day, and I've I've already taken about four phone calls from radio stations from saying, "Oh, we're worried that we're not our local clubs not spending enough money." I said, "Well, what what money are you trying to spend?" Yeah, because you know, in case people haven't noticed, we've just had eighteen months of the the biggest uh, you know health crisis the world's ever known in many respects and you know the, the whole country was closed down for a load of time we're lucky to have still 92 clubs to to actually physically support um and and people moaning and whinging about not spending 10 20 30 million in in the premier league is is bonkers but you know, i I've, I've been on the rochdale forum on many an occasion just you know over the course of the summer to see how things develop and as as a fan base, again, you seem you seem very grounded, and and your main issue is that you want a club to support because, as as you've rightly said, you've got friends at Berry. You know, I, I remember going along to Berry Town Hall a, a couple of years ago and and seeing you know, seeing grown grown men and women in, absolutely devastated. You, you don't want anybody to have to go through that. No, not at all. It's, it's such a part of everybody's life. And like I said we we know we're not the biggest club in the country, but for for two and a half three thousand people. This club's their world. Yep, yeah. I saw one of your fans, didn't he? He uh, who who'd raised all that money throughout his life, and, and then effectively he was when he when he sadly passed away. You know his uh, his estate effectively went to the club, and that's that's just so touching that the club meant so much to him. Um, and I think it's 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 a great example of of what football can do to to, to a local town. I mean, you've you mentioned the. EFL on, on a few occasions already. And, um, you know, I think historically, perhaps they've not covered themselves in glory with some other clubs. But as an again, as an outside observer, I, th- I think they've done a, a pretty good job uh, over the course of the summer. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, well, w- once we realised that this hostile takeover wasn't for us, we attacked this in three ways. Uh, the first way we did this was to the, try and get as many shareholders as we can. I talked before saying that we are home with a cooperative and we formed a cooperative of shareholders. Nothing formal, but it was just basically writing to shareholders and sort of saying, look, will you reject any advances that come from these people? And we managed to get 50.7% of the share of the shares being standing against these people. So we had a bit of a comfort blanket there. Yeah. We also all the digging that's been taking place. We've been we've been contacting the NFL. I got to the stage that they must have been sick to death of getting emails from me uh, because it was it was it was three or four times a week at times. Um, and we provided them with so much information, all the digging that we've done. And to be honest, it, it's been frustrating at times. And EFL, we know EFL don't have a, have a great reputation for doing these things. And it was frustrating because we were asking the EFL, 
where are we up to with this? Um, I did feel like a kid approaching Christmas Day where I'm asking my mum and dad, what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? <laughs> and they're just looking at me going, just shut up and go away. Um, but the EFL would say to us, look, we cannot provide a running commentary of how things are going, which is the right thing for them to do. There's no doubt about that. Exactly the right thing for them to do. It wasn't what we wanted to hear, but it was they were doing this the proper way. And at times they've been guilty of not doing that according to some people. But in this case, we were very happy with that. So when the news came through a week last Saturday that the EFL announced that they, they were withdrawing from the process, they were withdrawing from the owners and directors test, um, we were delighted to say the, to say the least. I, I can understand. And, and have, have you had any contact with uh, the people from the Swindon Town Supporters Trust? Because they, they went through a, you know, a broadly similar issue, uh, except they have had a change of ownership because the, the, the previous owner was, uh, wasn't popular with, with, with the fan base. And, and I think there were, there were issues in terms of the day-to-day running there. So have, have they been able to sort of advise you in, in terms of some of the, some of the stresses and, and challenges that they faced, which might have been useful to you? Yeah, we spoke to the Swindon Trust and the Swindon fan base as a whole have been absolutely fantastic with us. Um, every tweet we put out, they retweet and they get a message of support. So they've been brilliant. But the links between Andrew Curran and Swindon Town are massive. It, they, these aren't just two clubs who happen to be going through a bad stage at one particular time. Andrew Curran's son played for Swindon last season. Yeah. Um, he was an associate director at Swindon Town last year. So... There's there's a massive link there between the two. It isn't as I said. It, it's not just two basket case clubs. The, this is this is a connection between these two clubs down to one individual. Intriguing, intriguing, and presumably he still owns forty odd percent of the shares. Do 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 you have any idea what's now going to happen? Because if you've got yeah, that must make. Morton House, the the largest shareholder. I, I did see in the press release that the intention was to to sell them. But if they've paid over the odds to buy the shares in the first place, I, I can't see anybody being willing to to buy them um, at, at the price that was was paid for them by by Morton House itself. Well, we're just, we're in a position of absolute limbo at this moment in time. At this moment in time, they still do not own a single share in the football club. They've done the deals, they've paid the money, so they've got the the power of attorney over these shares, but they haven't presented a single share transfer form to the club. So they're sat on 42% of the shares, 43% or something around that area. And we, we don't know what their intentions are going to be. We read the statement, we've seen their press release, which says they are looking to divest their shareholding, but we just don't know what's going to happen at this point in time. They have paid, like you said, they've paid over the odds for these shares. So I can't see anybody willingly wanting to take these shares over because they're not worth the pay, the money that they paid for. Equally, if someone was wanting to buy these shares to try and take over the club, well, Curran and Rose have created an atmosphere at the club where we really now believe in fan ownership. Um, and I do say fan ownership rather than trust ownership. Our, our trust has no intentions of, of owning the football club and running the football club. Um, but we've created a climate now where anybody interested is going to be investigated to the end degree. It's not going to be a decent climate for somebody who's wanting to take over the club to come into simply because of what we've been through over the past two two months. They'll be treated with suspicion straight away. The shareholders will be reluctant to sell. Curran and Rose have not been able to get to 50%, despite cases offering five times what the shares are worth. So 
I don't think there was a there was there was opportunity for somebody to come in and take over these shares with a view of buying the club. It it, it does seem that it's, there's there's still uncertainty involved. I mean, I think the I think the the good news is presumably following the public announcements and also the support you've had from the EFL that this particular deal is not going to go through. But I guess my concern would be, you know, if they are in a position to transfer those shares. As a single block, you know, forty-two percent is still sizable, and, and that certainly would have an impact upon future decisions being made at board level. So, uh, I, I can understand you being uh, rightfully uh, circumspect, uh, but you've still got Dale to support, and you, you've still got matches taking place where you can you can get get behind them. You know, up, up the Dale, not for sale. Was was something that was being seen on social media, and I think fans from a lot of clubs bought into that. And, and you know, you you had the sympathy of the vast majority of fans in in all clubs. Yeah, well, as a club, we've been very stable, and we've we, we we've always took an interest in, in what's going on with other clubs. But we always thought that it'll never happen to us. I think your you average football supporter will always have that concern because yeah, we have rivalries on the pitch, but we know there's a, there's a there's a person in Berry just like me. There's a person in Swindon just like me. They just they're, we're just football supporters. At the end of the day, we just happen to support different teams, usually around where we were born in the country. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, well, th- thanks so much, Colin, for coming on and and, and expanding. You know, because I th- yeah, this this show goes out sort of on a, yeah, we're, we're on a non-partisan basis. We're not club affiliated as such, but hearing from clubs at all levels uh, is absolutely essential to giving us a better understanding. And, and I really appreciate your comments. Oh, thanks for having us on, Kieran. It's just, we, we, we've been through a difficult couple of months, but we we do believe we've got a model at Rochdale Football Club which works. We're not going to turn around and say we'll never say no to any investor going because who knows, someone might win the Euro Millions who lives down the road, who's got the club at heart, and we'll, we'll use that money accordingly. But unfortunately, if you start, in, I always say, if you're investing money into a football club and you're giving it so many, however, hundred thousands, millions here, that money's always going to be finite and eventually it will stop. Yes, mm. we have wrongs in football, but there's been a plenty of good guys involved in football where the money's run out and that's led to real problems at a football club. One of the examples he's off often is, is Brooks Miles and at Gretna. He did so much for Gretna, but that money ran out. Yeah. But he had his health problems. That, that club was no longer getting subsidised like it was doing. And that led to the destruction of that club. Um, and we don't want that here. Our model has shown to be working. The last 15 years has probably been the most successful 15 years in the history of the football club. So we'd, we'd quite like it staying the way, which works for us at Rochdale. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a, as a Brighton fan, yeah, we, we've had, we were quite good links with... Uh with Rochdale over the years, although you did sell us Jason Peake back in 1996, which I've never forgiven you for. <laughs> we sent him straight back. We'd have had him back at a cancer. <laughs> you did have him back, actually, very no, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much, Colin. And, uh, you know, send our love to everybody at the Dale. And I hope hope you have a great season. And just watching football. You know, it, it's it, it, it's... We we've said on many an occasion uh, we are looking forward to the day when this when this podcast stops when there's no need for it, but it's 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 tales such as yours and you know what we've seen at Wigan and Bury and, and uh, uh, you know Macclesfield and so on that uh, that do mean and sadly that we we need to carry on.
Yeah, but just thanks very much and thanks to all the Dell supporters who have helped us and all the support from other clubs up and down the country who've, who've offered us plenty of support over the past few weeks. Kieran, you can you can tell how much it means to Colin. I, I, I say they won, Kieran, but is it is it as simple as that? Well, it, it, it's not because we think, um, and nobody's got the share certificates to be able to prove this one way or the other, that the people behind this hostile takeover potentially now own 42% of Rochdale. And right. what on earth are they going to do with those shares? You know, if, if they sell them to one person, you've you've got a pretty big elephant in the room in terms of, of their ability to have an influence, not control the club. If they hang on to them, it, it's like a bad smell in the room. Um, I, I can't see them saying to the club, well, let's just go and cancel the shares, which is is a is potentially an option because they, they've paid money for them and one can only presume that they want to get some of that money back. But as, as Colin himself said, that they, they paid over the odds. Nobody, you know, every middle, why on earth are they offering, offering up to a tenner for, for shares which people think are probably worth no more than two quid each? Mm. You could just hear Guy's helicopter in the background. Be... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't look up. But I imagine there's a pile of white fivers coming down. Um, you say cancel the shares, Kieran. What? What happened? Did they just cease to exist? Those shares then, and do the rest of the shares then sort of spread out to become? 100% of the shares? How, what's that process? Yes, yeah, they, they, they are X shares. They, they will have ceased to be. Um, uh, they uh, will will no longer be in existence. So, therefore, uh, the individual shareholders who have the re- have who have the remaining shares, if you might have owned you know, 1%, now you'll own almost 2% in terms of the total shares of Rochdale. So uh, that, that's conceptually feasible. Uh, I, I don't know how... how Bad the feeling is between these potential owners, whether they're licking their wounds or whether they're just saying, "Well, you know, it was a, it was an interesting experiment. We're going to now completely uh, you know, remove ourselves from from the club." And uh, you know, good good luck to the people that we bought the shares from, um, but we, we we want no involvement at all. Mm. You couldn't remember the rest of the Monty Python sketch, there, could you? <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> He's, he's bereft. He's gone to meet his mate. He's pushing up the daisies. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, everybody. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to air podcast, and that would be very kind of you, and you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash price of football. Our next pod on Monday is our regular weekly questions pod. Um, that's a tautology, probably regular weekly. I don't know. But um, if you have any questions for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. That's questions on any aspect of football finance at whatever level, at whatever continent. Um, and in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary Monty Python style farewell. <laughs> Uh, well, thank, thanks again for your uh, feedback and comments, folks. So uh, you, you, you do keep us on our toes. You you are very, uh, very swift to identify when we've made the occasional boo-boo, as Yogi Bear used to say. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you're enjoying the show, uh, you can you could 
you could give us some financial support via Patreon for as little as one pound a month, but you don't have to do that. If you just want to, just want to get some good karma, um, just just go to that Apple uh, purple icon for the for the podcasts, uh, and if you could give us a nice five star review, you can say whatever you want, and believe me, some of you certainly do. Um, but other than that, uh, thanks again for your support, and we'll see you soon on Monday. And I can guarantee. There won't be any other podcast in the world that has mentioned Yogi Bear and Doris Stokes. In, in this, even even if there's a podcast at the moment about bears and psychics, I doubt very much whether they would even mention Yogi Bear and Doris Stokes. We need to up our game, reference wise, Kieran. We need you say, to get. You're saying I'm not down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not excluding myself from that. It's just, I'm really, I'm really, as far as like Yogi Bear is much funnier than Monty Python, as far as I'm concerned. I might have to go and find some old Yogi Bear now. <laughs> anyway, so yes, yeah, so smarter, smarter than the average podcast, boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <Bye. laughs> that's, that's really made me chuckle. Tony Stokes, Jeanette Charles, and Yogi Bear. The same podcast. <laughs> no wonder we can't get, <laughs> can't get people to buy us out. <laughs> <laughs>